It's about the tools we use. It's about the stories we tell. It's about how we change. It's evolution, baby. All right. Welcome back. This is uh, episode two of Do the Evolution, my podcast about all things film, technology, and transformation. I'm your host, Jason Lang, and it is a nice, cool winter morning here in Los Angeles. And first thing I'm going to start with is, man, I did not want to record this morning. Uh, I committed to this podcast and woke up and was could feel the uh, tension of resistance to just getting something going. Wasn't nearly as clear this week as I was last week in terms of what I was going to talk about. Um, I had definitely had a download this week about something that I definitely can't wait to share, but I think it's going to be a video log, so it's going to take me a little longer to put together. Uh, probably have some music and imagery and stuff. So then I was left with, oh, do I not do a podcast this week or what? But no, I'm committed to committed going, committed to launching. Um, and the first thing I just want to talk about is uh, kind of on the evolutionary technology front is this stupid little app. Maybe it's not stupid, but uh, I thought it was just like another one at first. Then as I got into it, I was really kind of getting impressed. This little app called Adobe Spark. Um, I think Adobe has just been crushing it since switching to the creative cloud, meaning you don't buy their software anymore. You just subscribe and every month you get access to all their software and all the cool new stuff they're trying. And it's allowed them to be a lot more agile. And this spark thing they've created, they have spark posts, spark page, spark video. Um, what really struck me about it is it's one of those funny things when we talk about robots taking our jobs, um, one of the holdouts that I've kind of always imagined would be like creativity and design in terms of like, well, a robot can never make a logo. Robot can never do good design work. And while it's super rough and it's in its infancy, um, there is something in Spark that I think is really interesting in terms of how technology is going to tack tackle that. And that kind of goes into a deeper thing, um, which even explains a lot about who I think I am as an artist and a new type of artist that's really only emerged with technology in the last 50 years or so. And that's this idea of remixing. Um, and so the feature I'm specifically talking about in Spark is they have all these different templates you can use, right? Um, which is cool. A lot of software has that. But what they have is you can type in some text and then there's literally just this wheel, kind of like the old wheel on an iPod that you can kind of scroll with your mouse and it just sits there and it mutates your text into different design, different designs, fonts, logos, sizes, layouts. And you just kind of keep doing it until you find one you like. <clears throat> and I find that fascinating. Uh, even in this early iteration, it's pretty cool. And what I see, what just struck me is, wow, that's the future because while yes, there's absolutely totally unique creativity and good design work and a proper designer is going to be able to say things about your brand and your product and your whatever and just make it more beautiful than anything else 
But for a lot of people, an actual designer is outside of their uh, capacity, their means. It's expensive to do good design work. And it is actually this process of iteration. Designer comes up with an idea, sends it over, someone sends notes back, and it's just back and forth and back and forth. And this mutation thing I saw in Adobe Spark just really struck me as like, wow, well, turns out actually a lot of design is being standardized on the web right now. Um, you know, we're starting to see websites move more and more towards the kind of big white space, um, square spaced divvy style grid layouts. And even with text and stuff, you know, it's just getting pretty clear. Like you throw some text on an image, you make the size different, you add some color and boom, you have something pretty. And then even our delivery mechanisms for what those graphics are going into are getting standardized in terms of, well, you do square for Instagram. Um, you have the dimensions for Twitter and Facebook images. And so Spark can take all that into account and generate the stuff that fits into those spaces. And what I imagine is going to happen soon is there's going to be iterative evolution, meaning right now you just scroll the wheel and it just totally changes it. But at some point you'd be able to be like, ooh, Actually, that's a path I want to go down. I want to lock that. And then there's another wheel which mutates that design, which mutates that design. And I just thought that was kind of amazing and a sign of probably a lot of how things are going to come, of what's to come. And for someone like me, who's not a traditional artist in the sense like I don't do design work. I've always really struggled with it. I'm not great at drawing, not great at picking colors, but I'm really good at remixing in the sense of like, taking things I've seen and putting them together or taking tools from off the shelf and putting them together. Um, and obviously remixing as an artistic pathway, it's probably most famously started, um, by DJs. I think that's something everyone can agree on. Oh, you take someone else's song and you remix it and you make it into something new, but we're seeing that with all kinds of mediums now, obviously even in the kind of more traditional art world, you have photography, which is somewhat of a remixing. I mean, you're not actually creating the stuff from scratch. You're taking imagery that's already out there, snapping it and making something new. Good old like magazine collages, probably one of the most classic forms of remixing there are. And um, it just seems like the way things are going online with more and more tools becoming more and more easy. Um, you know, we even see it on YouTube, like, there's entire videos created just of other videos or trailers recut from other material, creating something new, just remixing, remixing and remixing and remixing. And it's super exciting for me because it seems like a lot of what I do is just remix. Um, even in terms of, you know, one of my main sources of income is web development. And basically I'm just taking templates off the shelf and remixing them at this point. Um, even, all the imagery I've put together for this podcast is just remixing. And I think what's cool about it is it's making art art and being an artist in some ways, even more accessible to more and more people. Um, you know, I've been doing this thing on my Instagram feed, these winter trees, which are just uh, pictures of trees I've taken and are kind of messing with and mirroring with and make these pretty, pretty fractal images. And it is super rewarding and fulfilling. I'm having a blast doing it. Um, is it traditional art in a sense? No, but it makes me feel like I'm creating something. It makes me feel like I'm having some kind of artistic output. 
And I've noticed I feel best when I'm doing something on the creative side, meaning I'm actually putting something in the world and not just consuming, um, which is actually a goal I'm setting for this year. I haven't quite made it concrete. I'll probably be doing it at my men's group this coming week. But one of the things I was thinking about is um, I have these two-week accountability goals in my men's group, which are great and kind of provide near-term stretches. And I was like, ah, and I still want something beyond getting married and taking my career to the next level and all that stuff that's going to be happening this year. And even this podcast is like, what's one goal I could look back at at the end of the year and really track in some kind of solid way. And for me, I'm a little scared to admit it and acknowledge it and put it out there, but I think it's going to be balancing creation and consumption. Meaning um, if I want to binge watch something on Netflix, that's 12 hours. Great. I can do it, but it has to be matched that week with 12 hours of creation. And uh, I haven't really decided exactly what's going to fall into those categories. Um, Obviously I think watching TV and film will be consumption. Reading is consumption. Facebook, unless I'm posting something is consumption. Reading my RSS feeds is consumption. Video games would be consumption. Uh, And then in creation, I think it's going to be podcasting, making videos, writing, even if it's writing that doesn't get delivered that week, whether it's on a script or a short story or um, pieces for my video logs. And then I think also I'm going to drop circling, which is a practice I co-lead out here in LA, uh, kind of a group meditative intersubjective experience in the um, creation process as well, because that feeds me and it tends to create connection and it actually feels like a, a creative act and not a consuming act when I'm helping co-create those. Uh, so it's a huge challenge and I'm not sure how I'm going to track it all yet, but it's something I feel like will push me in the right direction. Um, and what I like about it is it means I don't have to fast from media. It just means if I want to consume more, I got to create more to keep it kind of balanced at zero. So that's something I'm super excited about happening this year and we'll be committing to um, probably next week. And I'll definitely do a check-in about that here on the podcast. So yeah, a Toby Spark. That was a totally weird little thing about remixing and the future of design on the web, but it is yet another exciting thing and another crazy thing that just points to so many jobs I think we take for granted as being secure won't be. And in some ways, the only job that I think will be secure in the future It's not even a specific job. It's just that actual act of creation. Are you creating something? Are you putting out more than you are consuming? Um, Because it seems like more and more people that I know are having to move in that direction. And that's the direction that so much is going towards, you know, having your own mailing list, um, putting together multiple streams of income, and in some ways, creating a brand identity of some sort for yourself. Now there's definitely obviously still going to be traditional jobs out there. And I see that happening, but I think a lot of those are going to disappear even faster than people realize. Um, some I think will hang on to just for social glue and to ease the transition. But a lot, I think will be gone pretty fast. So I'm, I'm thinking, I'm looking at my list here in terms of 
the other things I was going to kind of chat about today. And this other one's way more esoteric and has to do with, um, I think it's both the time of year in terms of being a new year. And as part of the new year, there's always grieving the last year for me at least. Um, and I'm in the midst of some big transition. Me and my fiance are getting ready to move into a place at the end of the month. I'm kind of leaving the neighborhood I've been in for seven years. Um, a routine that I very meticulously built up over the last three and a half years in terms of uh, meditating and creative work in the morning and going to the gym and really optimizing my life down to minimal driving while possible. It's going to be pretty different in the new um, situation because we're moving to a different part of town. Um, and so it just brought up a lot of emotion. And me and my fiance were talking, I've been talking a lot about that and the different textures of that. And uh, in some sense, even grieving a stage of our relationship as we move from kind of just dating to living together and being married and really that kind of long-term dedicated um, type of relationship. And so what came out of all that was noticing, you know, I'll be 37 this year, just crazy, just really crazy. Um, been in LA seven years now, uh, be eight this time next year. And it was really just the shift from at least that I've noticed in myself of um, what I would call, I, I don't know what we would call our twenties at this point, you know, I do think it's a new stage of development for a lot of people that was not necessarily as present for a lot of our parents who, um, got married pretty much right out of high school or right out of college and then jumped right into the careers and started having families. So few people I know my age, um, in comparison, relatively number wise have done that. And the difference I feel between then and like what I'm about to step into now, um, whatever phase that might be called, which I, I don't even know if it's age dependent necessarily, but I've been thinking about it as the shift of getting older from like when I was young, like so much of the juice and the excitement in life came from kind of, I guess I would be, I would say like imagining and thinking about potential. Like there was unlimited potential for what life might be, what I might do, where I might go the things that might happen, like just literally, it seemed like endless time, endless potential. Um, there was always another day to get things done. If something didn't happen today, it was going to happen at some point, right? And just tons and tons of potential, which is relaxing and liberating and freeing, uh, and also bit chaotic. But what I've been noticing and feeling in myself has been a shift from, uh, and while it might sound a bit morbid at first, I don't actually think it is, is a move from like the juice coming from potential to a move to preciousness. When I say preciousness, I mean like appreciation in a sense of like, wow, actually there's not time for everything. All those things I thought might happen in my life may not happen. And all those things I thought happened in my life won't happen unless I make them happen. So I need to start making choices. Because the longer I wait, the more each choice I feel like has an impact. Because, yeah, while we live in a non-dual world in the sense of there's both the infinite, timeless, formless realm of existence and anything is possible at any moment, there's also definitely, absolutely, 
a relative uh, actual timeline and trajectory to history, meaning there are some things that compound over time and some possibilities that are only, some things that are only possible from an accumulation of other possibilities and things happening. So the shift from potential to preciousness um, for me is like, yeah, the shift into appreciation and realizing like, wow, these moments I have with my loved one, these moments I have with my parents as they get older, these moments I have with my friends and just simple times of being relaxed and having dinner or hanging out or going for a hike, like they are not going to last forever and they're not always going to be um, things I can do. So there's been a growing, I guess, appreciation and uh, even a yearning for slowness for me to be able to more deeply consume those moments in time and realizing just how utterly precious they are and starting to savor more and more the moments of preciousness over the kind of in some ways, more mental stimulation of like potential. Well, this might happen and this might happen and this might happen. And for me, the preciousness frame is, wow, I'm totally committed to making all those things happen. And if they don't, how can I enjoy my life as it is? How can I be more connected to myself and those around me and appreciate the small things? Um, and that actually, it's funny how that reminds me of this, uh, concept I got from, um, there was a book that came out earlier, or it's 2017 now. So it came out back in 2016, uh, called grit. And it was about a woman who kind of studied people who were super successful in different fields and was trying to break down the myth of genius and that people are just like instantly good at things. And so she actually wanted to define like, what is grit? What is the thing that allows people to stick with something for a long time until they're good at it? And one of the phrases she used that actually reminds me in some ways is of another um, reframe of potential to preciousness is she called it substitute learning to sub substitute nuance for novelty, which I just absolutely love in terms of, uh, yeah, it's super excited. It's super easy to get excited about something new, you know, the beginning. Um, there's, there's an energy to novelty that I think makes it easier to execute things, try things, um, and just bounce around from new thing to new thing. Right. But that's that bouncing around, which I know is certainly true for me, having done many different jobs and many different careers and having a pretty weird, wild skill set that I've never kind of honed down into like doing one thing at an expert level is that that's the very thing that prevents that is when you're just continually jumping around, it's hard to go deep enough into something to have it become an actual area of expertise in terms of it being, um, you know, you have some unconscious competence, meaning it's just so wired in your body, you're good at it, you know, which we can obviously see in like physical sports and stuff, but it's totally true of um, kind of all different things, meaning new data can come in and you can handle problems in whatever field you're at without getting stressed out about it. Cause you have so much experience 
you already have all the solutions in your mind. And it's just, again, remixing them and coming up with a solution as opposed to like when I'm learning something new, particularly if I take on a project or something and I don't really know how to do it, it can be really energy intensive and really stressful because I'm kind of having to learn as I go and figure things out as I go. So it takes more and more energy expenditure as I've gotten better at certain things. Part of what makes them more rewarding is I get the same results for the last, for less energy. Um, and so this concept of nuance for novelty is basically starting to substitute that thirst or that, um, instead of give, getting your kicks, so to speak, or nourishment from the novelty, it's substituting it for nuance. So the more you stick with something, the more awareness you can bring to that field or that project or that practice and start to learn the nuances of it. So like the farther you go into it, it's actually more and more micro, the changes and the things you notice. And we totally see this kind of expertise, obviously, with like um, people who get really into food of any kind. They can, you know, taste the subtle distinction, distinctions in wine or cheese or music and recording gear, um, films and the way things are lit and really just kind of anything, particularly even physical practice, you know, it's when I'm lifting weights in the gym, it's noticing, oh, like I can feel that one specific area of my body is tight or not firing in the same way. And that concept of nuance for novelty, I feel like is just another frame of that potential depressiousness thing that I think is so um, potent for me in my life right now. And <laughs> total side note, uh, I remember when I was thinking the nuance, when I first heard the nuance for novelty thing, you know, she was talking about it in career, in terms of career and expertise and stuff, which I think is amazing and hilarious. Um, I mean, the next part I think is amazing and hilarious, but I, immediately I was thinking like, oh, wow. And boy, howdy, does that apply to relationships, right? Um, the whole wiring of how we're attracted to people and the process of getting to know someone like that's novelty. That's instant. That's exciting. That's like literally chemical reactions happening in our body, flooding our system versus like the actual process of going into deep commitment and a relationship with someone is substituting that novelty of someone just being new, a different person, a different laugh, a different um, history, body, all that stuff for like nuance. Well, the longer I'm with this person, the more I have to shift my attention to like actually getting the subtle nuances of them. I may think they're the same person, but every day is totally different. Every moment is totally different. So what I, yeah, I just loved that her career advice, I think could be so applicable and is such a good guideline for even how to handle long-term relationships. Um, so yeah, another episode, kind of rambly, just me uh, throwing things together, but I'm committed to doing these once a week. Um, and I'm going to keep delivering. So I hope you keep listening. And yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, I have a pretty cool vlog that I'm going to be scripting out in my next two weeks men's group challenge and getting recorded and having some friends help with music with. Um, so I'm committed to delivering four of these podcast episodes a month and one of those videos a month. And we'll see where it goes. Uh, probably get some interviews going sometime soon with some cool people. And... Um, Definitely going to have some films to talk about as I got a lot to catch up on with the Oscar season and think I'll have a even more ranting to do in that regard. But uh, I think that's it for this week. 
Until next time, this is Jason Lang uh, signing off. Special shout out and thanks to Screaming Witness for the amazing intro and outro song. Check them out.